We are so familiar with Christmas traditions, like your own family traditions. Maybe um, you all get together and you put the tree up the day after Thanksgiving, or uh, maybe you go to grandma's house for Christmas Eve or Christmas, or maybe you get up early on Christmas morning and open presents. Those are, those are family traditions. We're also familiar with our, our culture uh, and, and the traditions that we have in our culture, like the giving of gifts or Christmas caroling, or cheesy Christmas movies. We have lots of Christmas traditions. I think most of us are familiar with the Christmas story as well. It goes something like this. There's a young girl who... Is it still on? Oh, thought I lost you. There's a young girl who receives a message from an angel. The angel says, the Savior of the world is going to be born to you. This girl is also told that there's her cousin Elizabeth who's expecting a child and, and that child's going to make the way for her child. So she goes to Elizabeth and, and Elizabeth's child in and, and her belly jumps and leaps for joy filled with the Holy Spirit that the Savior of the world was coming through Mary. But Mary was, well, she was engaged to a guy named Joseph and uh, Adults, mommy and daddies, understand that uh, Mary shouldn't have been pregnant, right? And Joseph was upset. So uh, he was going to divorce Mary. He was going to cut off their engagement. But the Lord said, no, 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 it's okay. Well, there's also this guy way over in Rome. And actually years earlier had said there's going to be a census of the whole world. I want to know how big my kingdom is. And so... Joseph and Mary had to go to the place of their forefathers in Bethlehem. And Mary at this point is way prego, as they say these days. And she goes down to Bethlehem. But there's no, there's no place in any house in Bethlehem for them to stay. And so they end up staying in a barn. And that's where Jesus is born and then there's also these angels out here in, in Bethlehem. These angels appear to these shepherds who are out in the fields. And all of a sudden, it's just bright lights, and they're, they're saying, glory to God in the highest. And these shepherds have to figure out what's going on, so they go into town, and they see in this barn there's the Savior of the world. And then later on, some wise men come, and they see a baby slash toddler Jesus. That's the Christmas story, right? Oh yeah, and there's this guy named Herod who tries to kill baby Jesus. But that's what Christmas is all about. Not, not the killing of Jesus, but that Jesus comes to earth, right? But that's just a small speck of what God is doing. That is literally just a small speck of what God is doing throughout all of eternity, throughout all of human history. Christmas represents just one aspect of his big plan. So several months ago, Zach Olson and myself got together back when he was an intern. We said, let's come up with something for Christmas. And Zach came up with one idea and I shot it down. It wasn't very good. <laughs> then he came up with another idea. And he said, Christmas in context. Let's look at the Old Testament and see what Christmas is all about. And I said, that's a great idea. And so 
It's with that in mind we're turning to Isaiah chapter 11 today. And today we're going to look at the big, big picture of what Christmas is all about. Now I'll give you some, some background here. I need to paint the context of Isaiah. We're just showing up in Isaiah 11 and it's like, okay, well, who is Isaiah? What's this book all about? Well, Isaiah is a prophet. He prophesied about 700 years before Jesus was born. He was a prophet in the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, say southern kingdom of Judah, what, what is that? Well, after King David, King David had a son named Solomon. Solomon then had a son named Rehoboam. Rehoboam, he, he messed everything up. The northern ten tribes, they left and they became Israel. And then there was the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and they become they become Judah. Well, Judah had some good kings and they had some bad kings. Israel, they, they had completely bad kings. And so these Assyrians come in and, and they conquer Israel. They, they take those northern ten tribes, they, they separate them from their land, they, they have conquest over them. And in Isaiah's day, there's a wicked king when he first begins prophesying, a wicked king named Ahaz. Ahaz is vile. He's actually related to the northern kings of Israel. And he doesn't love the Lord like he should. And Isaiah prophesies that because of this bad leader and because of previous bad leaders and because of the attitude of the people, Isaiah is forced to prophesy that these wicked and faithless people were going to be judged by their God for turning their backs on him. Oh yeah. And there's that big Assyrian empire that just took out our brothers and sisters and cousins in the north. That Assyrian empire is looming over you. You could be conquered at any moment by them. It's kind of like growing up in the 50s or 60s or 70s or 80s where you thought there was a threat of atomic war. You thought the Russians might send an atomic bomb to the United States, right? Well, they lived with the imminent threat of Assyria. And so you may be wondering, what does this have to do with Christmas? <laughs> I'm glad you asked, or thought it at least. You see, the same God who promised to judge Judah because of their wickedness, and the same God who judged Israel because of their wickedness, that same God is a God who had promised King David long ago that forever and ever and ever, King David would have someone seated on his throne. And before that, like 14 generations or more before that, the Lord God had promised a man named Abraham. Abraham, through your offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And before that, before Abraham... The Lord promised the first man and woman, you know, the ones that sinned in the garden. He promised that he would make all things new. He would make all things right again. And you see, this God who had told this uh, promise to David and told the promise to Abraham and had told the promise to Adam and Eve, this God is a God who's true to his word. And this is a God who's faithful even when his people are faithless. And that's so applicable to you and I. And so here we are, as we look at Isaiah chapter 11, and God's people have been faithless. They have a wicked king, and he just promises 
some terrible judgment. We'll talk about that in a second. But that, I think, tees us up, tees us up for reading Isaiah 11. And I'm going to read the whole chapter, although we're only going to have enough time today for, um, for us to look at 1 through 12. But I'm going to read the whole chapter. Isaiah 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. And that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the, the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them, and the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. And will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels. And he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. This is the reading of God's word. And we see in Isaiah chapter 11 that God is a great God. And we see that God is a faithful God. And God's faithfulness means that he will carry out his promises. That's our big idea. That God is faithful to carry out his promises. And so when it seems like the world or your world is falling apart, friends, our God is faithful. And he has a big plan that he will carry out. And so this Christmas season, as you might carry the weight of the world or your world on your shoulders, you need to remember this God. His faithfulness means he's going to fulfill his promises. 
And yes, it means that he's going to bring a baby born in Bethlehem. But it also means that he's going to do something even bigger and greater than that. And in Isaiah 11, we get a glimpse of what God's plan is. We get a glimpse of why that baby was there. So, what are we talking about here? Well, God's faithful to carry out his promises. And God promised, back in Isaiah 11, he promises a perfect king. He promises a perfect king. Did you, did you understand that? Did you hear that when we were reading verses 1 through 5? This is a perfect king. Unlike any ruler the world has ever seen. But it's kind of scary. Because it starts off in verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. A stump. A stump is not what I think of when I think of something mighty. A stump is a tree that has been cut down, right? And what remains is something close to the ground. What, why is it a stump? Back in chapter 10, the Lord says this. He tees it up with Isaiah and he says, the Assyrians, those wicked Assyrians, I'm going to judge them. They're wicked. They're vile. Now, if you and I lived in Israel or Judah of that time or any other nation, we would have agreed Assyria was really wicked. When they would conquer people, they would make human shish kebabs out of the people. With, uh, they would fillet people with their skin. The Assyrians were vile and wicked people, and they could not bring ultimate rule that God wanted on this earth. They were the bad guys. But even the good guys, Judah, David's own line, they were wicked. They fell short. Even the best ones that we read about in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, they were not completely and totally able to bring God's people back to relationship with him. And so what the Lord says in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 19, he says, the remnant of the trees of his forest will be so few that a child can write them down. So imagine this apocalypse where there's this huge forest. Someone comes through and just chops every tree down so few that even a little child who has to use their hand to count can count all the trees that are still standing. There's not many left. And they're from these ashes, from, from the forest of Lebanon in verse 34 being cut down. He's talking about the Assyrians and the Israelites both being chopped down. From these ashes will rise a shoot. Now, I don't know if you've ever chopped down any trees. I have chopped down hundreds of trees in my life. Um, and I will tell you this. If you, um, if you don't really take out the root and it's a... Or, the root and the stump, and it's a living tree, not a dead tree, but a living tree, uh, it's going to try to reproduce. It's going to have shoots that come up. I had a tree at my old house that um, I, I had completely destroyed. I had decimated. It was down all the way, lower than my lawnmower even went, right? And I'm like, all right, I took care of that tree. But guess what happened? These shoots started popping up. It was trying to live because it was a living tree. And here, there's this stump. But the stump isn't just any stump. The stump actually has a name. 
It represents somebody. It represents Jesse. Now, who's this Jesse? It's not a Jesse from the 90s hit sitcom Full House. It's not, uh, it's not the Jesse from an 80s song. This is a Jesse who is David's dad, King David's dad. But you, you might just say, okay, I'll gloss over that. That's King David's dad. But for Jesse to be mentioned here is really weird. Because if we look at all the old kings of Judah, they're compared not to Jesse, they're always compared to their father David, each and every one of them. They, either, they were judged whether they walked according to their father David or they didn't walk according to their father David. Never Jesse. But here, in Isaiah 11, verse 1, we see from the stump of Jesse a shoot rising. But not only is it a shoot coming up, but there's a branch from his roots that's bearing fruit. And if we look at verse 10, I know we're skipping ahead a little bit, but in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. So we're, imagine a big old stump here, and the stump has a shoot, but it also has this root down below the surface, and Isaiah's talking about they're one and the same. What's going on here? Well, let's look at the shoot first. Who is this shoot? Well, when I was reading this week, studying Isaiah, a really good commentator named Alec Motyer, he pointed out in his commentary that Isaiah isn't suggesting that there's just this new king that comes from David's line, but there's actually a new David. Jesse was David's dad, after all. And that kind of is confusing. There's a new David? What do you mean there's a new David? But when we look at some other prophets, they say the same thing. Jeremiah 30, verse 9 and 10. says, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. So God's judging the people, but then he's going to bring them back, and they're going to worship the Lord, but the Lord says, I'm going to raise up David. Ezekiel, who wrote at the same time as Jeremiah, says in Ezekiel 34, 23 through 24, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, And he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. So again, Jeremiah and Ezekiel say the same thing here that Isaiah is saying, that there's going to be this new David. And then Hosea and the minor prophets, he says the same thing in Hosea 3, verse 5. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. So we come back to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, and we see that from this stump comes a new shoot. It's a new David. But we know that this new David doesn't just spring from Jesse, but he's also the foundation of Jesse. He's the root of Jesse. What does that even mean? Because that doesn't make sense to us. There's an echo here of what Jesus said in John 8, 58. 
You see, Jesus, when he was being questioned by the Jews, he said, before Abraham was, I am. He said he eternally existed before Abraham, that really, 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 really old guy. Jesus existed before him and always existed before him. And you know Jesse's story? We know who Jesse's grandma is, Ruth. We know who Jesse's grandpa is, Boaz. There's a point and there's a reason that Ruth is included in Scripture. And the reason isn't just to give us a really good like hallmark story for the Bible. The reason is to point us to the lineage of Ruth, the lineage of Boaz. Their grandson, Jesse, has David. And David is the one that the Lord promises, I will have someone on your throne forever from your line. You see, God sovereignly orchestrated this girl from Moab who would have never, ever, ever met Boaz. He orchestrated all things to bring her to Bethlehem so that Boaz and her could marry and have children and from their offspring, the Lord brings David. And from their offspring, the Lord will bring a new David. You see, in this way, the Lord is fulfilling his promise to David. But who is this? Well, this new David is a perfect king, and God promises this perfect king. He's better than any leader ever. Verse 2 says, The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. It's not uncommon in the Old Testament to have people who are anointed with the Holy Spirit. Moses is anointed with the Holy Spirit. Joshua is anointed with the Holy Spirit. David himself is anointed with the Holy Spirit seemingly for their whole lives. But this king, he's unlike any of them before. Because not only is he anointed, but, but he practices wisdom and the fear of the Lord perfectly. We love Moses, but Moses failed. We love Joshua, Joshua failed. We, we love David, but David, he failed. But this king is promised complete and utter and total success. He's anointed. And Isaiah goes on to talk about the anointing of this new David, of this perfect king. And Isaiah 42, and Isaiah 59, and Isaiah 61. We know that this new David is not only going to be a new David, but that he's going to be a servant, a suffering servant at that. And we know that this new David, this new king, is a suffering servant. He's also the Messiah. And you're familiar with the term Messiah, even more so in the Greek, which is Christ. This new David is Jesus. And 700 years before, when everything seems hopeless, when everything seems worthless, when, when the people think the Assyrians are just going to come crashing in and destroy them because of their wicked king and their wickedness and their faithlessness, God is faithful. And he says, hold on. I am working. Now, was it on their time frame? No, because I think the people probably would have rather had that perfect king right then and there. But the Lord promised 700 years before that little baby was born in Bethlehem that there would be a perfect king, a new David, someone to make all things right. And unlike the rulers of the world, 
who have to decide disputes and make laws and rules according to worldly wisdom. This king doesn't have to do that. This king is anointed by the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. This is strange, and there's, there's, an, uh, there's a faint hint of what God is doing. Because you see, the people of old, the people of Judah, they think God really only loves them. But he's been trying to say throughout the whole Old Testament that he is a God of the nations. And this God, this new king, this new David, isn't just for Israel, but he is for the world. And that's really good, friends. Because guess what? These poor, the people who need justice, that's you and I. We are think that we are so mighty and strong sometimes and we don't even think about us being so mighty and strong. We're just, we're Americans. We're the best. But friends, we are spiritually poor and needy. We need a good ruler. We need someone who's going to judge us not based off of human wisdom, but someone who has that perfection That person is Jesus. And then it's described, his his clothes are described, which is kind of weird, you know, why do you describe your clothes? Um, But it plays an important part of, of who he is. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So it talks about a belt. Does it talk about two belts? No, it's showing that he's completely and utterly perfect and that he's loyal to God. And that's important because guess what? All those kings of old, they weren't perfect and they were not loyal to the Lord. But this new king, this perfect king is. So God promised a perfect king. We know that he comes in Jesus. We're reminded at Christmas time that God is faithful even when we're faithless. He's true to his promises. He's working something really big. But it's not just that he brings a king. It's not just that he brings a king and a perfect king at that. Look what he promises to do here. He, not just, he doesn't just promise to bring a king. He promises to make all things new. Did you guys notice when we were reading Isaiah 11? This is kind of craziness. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Don't we have the story of the big bad wolf? <laughs> little Red Riding Hood and the big bad wolf. Like the big bad wolf and the three little pigs. But here, there's a new world. Here, the Lord is doing something that we didn't think was even possible. Our world is corrupt. Our world is broken. We need hope. And that hope is found in Jesus Christ and that perfect king who is going to make all things new. He promises us as much in Revelation 21.5. He says in the very last days, Behold, I make all things new. And this is a glimpse, friends, this is a glimpse of God's faithfulness. And just like the people in Israel, the people in Judah back in Isaiah's day, they needed that perfect king. He hadn't come yet. We need this perfect world, and this perfect world isn't here yet, but it's coming. 
And we hold on to that hope even amidst all the struggles of this world because God will make all things new. Let me show you what he does here. Let me show you the symbolism of what Isaiah is saying here. Isaiah is saying first that the reconciliation of old hostilities will take place in verse 6. And we understand wolves and sheep, they don't get along. Wolves eat sheep. Sheep, uh, Wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Leopards are going to lie down with goats. Apparently, leopards and goats don't get along. That's not necessarily in our vernacular. But I've been to the Fort Wayne Zoo, and the animal I trust the least to get out is that leopard. That leopard looks tough and mean. And the calf and the lion, and the fattened calf, juicy steak is going to be right in front of the lion, and he's going to be fine with it. And then look at this. So much so that little children are able to practice the dominion of the earth. Because who's leading all these animals? Who's leading the leopards and the lions and the wolves and the sheep and the goats and the cows? Little children. Can you imagine, like, the, the babies who are just dedicated, can you imagine them leading around a leopard? Like, come on. That sounds like a fairy tale. But that's what God is going to do in the new world and his new earth when he makes all things new. It's not just the reconciliation of old hostilities, but he reverses the curse. He reverses the curse. I told you that he promised back to Adam and Eve that he would make all things new. He promises in Genesis 3.15, even though Adam and Eve had sinned and that there would be enmity between the woman And the snake, the Lord, rights all wrongs. And so we look at this and we we see that the the cows and the bears and, and, and all of them, they eat the same things. They all eat grass. That goes back to Eden when everybody's a herbivore. They don't eat meat. I know some of us are like, oh man, you know, like, but but it's good. The animals aren't killing each other. People aren't killing each other. But did you see verse 8? This is really important. The nursing child shall play over the whole of the cobra. Now, I've watched enough National Geographics to know that cobras are poisonous, and they are dangerous. And you would not want your little child to play near a cobra or the adder. But in this new heaven and new earth, all things are made new. And so that promise to put enmity between the offspring of the woman and the snake is now completely reversed and put back to how it should be because of this perfect king. Sin will be no more. Satan's power will be no more. The Lord will reverse the curse of this world through his perfect king. That's what he promises here. And then... Not only does he reverse this, but he says in verse 9, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's like saying water is wet, right? The knowledge of the Lord will so permeate all of the earth, all of creation, all of us, that what God is doing is so big when he brings that little baby to Bethlehem And the baby's born and the baby grows up and lives a perfect life and dies a death on the cross. 
That goes back to promising a blessing of the Lord for all the nations. Remember, he promised that back to Abraham. And God is faithful to his promises. And Jesus, he reads that he fulfills this. Back in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Remember that perfect king is anointed. He's anointed with the Spirit. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Friends, that is us. And Jesus comes as that perfect king to bring a perfect world that will all be made new. And you think, oh, this is too good to be true. Maybe it's just for Israel. Maybe Isaiah is just talking about some guy uh, long ago. No. Look at verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. The peoples are us. You don't understand that. Well, let's keep reading. Of him shall the nations inquire. That's all of us. You see, God's work at the cradle is pointing towards the cross and is pointing towards forever and ever being glorified with Jesus is for us to be redeemed from our sins, the poor and the helpless, the people who need that the most. God has shown himself compassionate and gracious. And Jesus stands as a signal, a flag, waving, come to me, come to me. Friends, this is for you and me. And this is good news because his resting place shall be glorious. We struggle with believing that God is faithful, practically speaking, each and every day. We know intellectually God's faithful. Most of what I just preached, you're like, yep, knew that. You kind of knew where I was going with that new David, right? Try to surprise you, but you guys knew the new David's Jesus. But friends, we have a perfect king who has come and has promised to come back. He has promised to make all things new. And for the people of the Old Testament, the people that are living in Isaiah's day, 700 years before that little baby was even born, you know what they got? They got promises. And they had to trust the Lord in those promises. And it was hard. After all, the Assyrians were there. Then the Babylonians, then the Medo-Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans. Would God ever do anything? Would he actually ever fulfill his promises? And we can say yes. We know. As a historical fact, Jesus came. But we know even through what the Bible tells us that he's coming again and he will reign forever and ever and ever. And so you and I, we, we struggle with that. Just like the people in the Old Testament. This world stinks sometimes, and that's putting it nicely. There's disease, there's political turmoil, there's neighbors that don't like me. But friends, we have the promises of God. We have the promises of the Lord God who says, I'm promising a perfect king who will rule perfectly who will judge the nations and who will bring you in to live in this land where all things will be made right. 
And that seems like a pie in the sky, like, yeah, help me now. But friends, those promises help us believe that God is faithful even in our everyday struggles. God is faithful. He hasn't forgotten his people. And we need to remember that time and time and time again. And so what a great time to put Christmas in context. As we see all these manger scenes, my family went on a little walk two days ago. And we saw like four manger scenes on our little walk. As you walk, as you drive, as you, as you see these manger scenes all around the Fort Wayne area, friends, those manger scenes are not just that God came to us, although that does represent that, but it represents God's faithfulness to his promises. And so as you drive around, as you walk around, let's think about that. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. Even when we're faithless, he is faithful. And in that we can rejoice.